I think it's my turn. <laughs> if, it's, if someone comes out and starts singing, I'll get off stage, but I think I'm good. Hi! Hi. Uh, I want to start by just thanking you guys. Um, this is the first time I've taught the Bible since my wife passed away, and um, you got, you got, a lot of you guys are from like North County or Orange County area, and so it kind of feels like home a little bit, and Hume SoCal has been like just an amazing background uh, to kind of jump back in and... Uh, like, I was terrified out of my mind coming up on Friday and, you know, I, teaching, I'm, I'm like, is it, is it like riding a bike? Can you not do it for nine months and then get back on it? And so even through, like, fumbling and failings and um, perhaps even things that, um, where I wasn't very articulate or I was crying like a baby, uh, you guys, you stuck through me, through it with me. And um, even, like, hanging out with my kids, you guys are so respectful to me and so cool to my family. So I just appreciate you a lot and I love you guys. And, um... Bum for this weekend to be wrapping up. I'm going to ask for 15 minutes from you guys just as we uh, conclude. Um, you guys, we've already been here for quite a while in chapel, and I know you've had a long weekend, and so I'm not trying to ask too much of your time, but um, I, I really want to make sure that if there's a decision that you made this weekend, if there's a commitment that you made, if there's repentance that you participated in, I get a cool job because I get to teach to adults, um, obviously, on the weekends, but then my main job is working with uh, the, it's called the Jordan. It's a young adult ministry at uh, North Coast Church. And um, so it's 18 to 25 year olds. And as such, I get to kind of look at the next generation right above you. I get, to look at the, I get to look at a lot of your futures in kind of a cool way, you know? Like I get to experience a lot of people who are where you're about to be. And there's something that's pretty haunting as a youth pastor. And I'm sure that your youth pastors go through this all the time, and your counselors and your small group leaders, which is that if you just go based strictly off of numbers, Three out of four of you will leave the church after you graduate high school. Okay? Now, I don't want to do a show of hands because I don't, it, it could get weird or whatever. But I would guess for the majority of you, if I said, hey, three out of the four of you are going to leave church when you graduate high school, you're going to walk away from faith. Now, the percentages say that about 50% of those people will return at some point in their life. But still, the odds are nuts. It's like one out of two of you will end your life. Even if right now you are walking with Jesus, one out of every two of us, at least, that's just, that's just participating in church, if you've been in church all growing up, will not be involved, will not be following Jesus, will not be any of those things when you get older. That's, and that's just the bare minimum. And that's just, that's just people who are already in the church. That's not the general population. That's current church people. Only about 50% of them will finish their life inside of the church. But I bet if I asked you and I said, how many of you think you're one of the people who are going to finish your life outside of the church? Like most of us, if you've got EQ, right, if you have any sense of like social awareness, or, um, but most of us, we would just go like, well, it's not going to be me. And that's one of the things that's really ironic about this, is if you can, you can sit and you can teach this message, and a room this size of half of you are going to leave the church at some point, we don't really volunteer ourselves for it. And that's because Satan is clever, Okay. Satan has these clever schemes, and he's got these ways of doing things, and he, and he doesn't come at you bluntly. Like, if you're like kind of the, um, this is kind of like me growing up, uh, I was in church every week, like when I was like 12 years old, I, I, like, I had set the record at my church for saying the books of the Bible the fastest, and like that was my life. Like, my bathroom reading was a Bible trivia book, okay? I would just sit there, and I would read Bible trivia all the live long day, Okay? I was, that was the kind of the nerd that I was, right? And, and that's what I did over and over again. And I, I participated in this, and I, I did like Awanas, and I, I did like um, uh, trivia quizzes. I did like the city, <laughs> Tulsa, Oklahoma's city Bible trivia championship. Um, 
I had no friends, but I knew the Bible so well. Um, but I knew a whole bunch about God, and, and I didn't know God. It, it's, it, there's, there, all the, there's just a preposition missing from that, but it makes all the difference in the world. I knew about God. I just didn't know God. I didn't understand him. He wasn't who I was. He didn't identify with him. He wasn't the source of my, uh, of my power. He wasn't the source of my identity. He wasn't the source of who I was. He was, I mean, if I would have gotten to heaven and they would have given me a scantron, I would have passed it. But if they would have given me a blood test, are you a son of the king, I probably would have failed. Because I, all I knew was facts about him. I didn't really know him. And so we run this risk, even sitting inside of church, with this idea that you can make all the, the decisions you want to, but it's almost like a recipe, it's almost like a diagnosis, it's almost like if you go to the hospital and you've got some kind of like infection, like a few years ago I had like a MRSA staph infection when I was in Ecuador, and like MRSA staph infection, they're nuts, they're like, it like eats away your skin and stuff, I, I still have like a big hole in the side of my leg, not a big hole, but you can see it if you look really closely, um, sometimes I'm dramatic, uh, but that you get home, you get to go to the hospital, they give you some like antibiotics and stuff, but then they give you this whole regimen. And you can't actually expect for your MRSA infection to go away if you don't follow up after you leave the hospital. And that's kind of what camp, that's, that's the high risk of coming to camp. You come up on the mountain, doo, 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 doo. Uh, there's snow everywhere, everyone's kind of cool and groovy and chill with one another, and if you're not, it's like you really should stop it because you're at church camp. And, but we do this over, we play broom hockey, and we do block set blitz, and we, right, and, and, and it's amazing. And, and, and kind of the pivot points of your day revolve around hearing the word of God, and it's cool, it's great, and you're in Christian community, and your youth pastor are here, and your youth leaders are here, and your counselors are here, and your small group leaders are here, and everything is great. This is kind of like the hospital, right? When you get to the hospital, you've got doctors and nurses, and you've got uh, physician's assistants, and you've got cardiologists, and you've got everyone working to try and do eradicate the infection that you have, but then they give you a set of guidelines to go home with, and if you don't follow those, you can't reasonably expect just to visit the hospital twice a year and be okay. And for a lot of us, especially as seniors, that's kind of been our game plan of Christianity, right? It's, it's like the old Price is Right game. Uh, maybe only a counselor going to get this. Like there's that, uh, there's like this guy and you had to guess the price with Bob Barker. But then this guy, he was like a yodeler and he would like, if you guess the price too wrong, he would fall off this cliff. Anyway, I should probably use an example that you care about. Uh, it's kind of like a roller coaster. That's a lot better. Uh, you go to camp and you're like, this is awesome. And then two weeks later, it's like, you know, uh, dang, it feels good to be a gangster. And then you're like, oh, hold on, it's summertime. Hume summer camp, here we go. Mm, back to my sports team. And, and you just kind of ride that over and over again. The problem is, seniors, and I'm not trying to, like, um, how many more camps is it going to take? You're kind of running out. <laughs> You can't reasonably expect just to keep going back to the hospital twice a year. Like that, there's not like more camp. There's no more camps. And so, if you don't want it to stick, then don't don't, don't listen to what I say. But if you really care about being inside the fifty percent of people who finish their life inside of the church and understanding that, you have to make decisions today and make commitments today that affect your tomorrow. You have to do that. Great decision often requires great incision. Big decisions often require great incision. Incision is eradicating, getting something out of your life. And we're going to finish the story of Jonah today. I'm going to give you just three points to take home with. Then we're going to wrap up the week. Here's what it says. Jonah chapter 4. 
We just found out that God relented his destruction, chapter 4, verse 1. I, if, if you've ever seen a, a movie or whatever that seems to stop in the middle of the story, uh, this is what you're about to experience, okay? It it's, feels like you're holding in a sneeze. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to force, foretell by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah literally is in a position where he's trying to commit Hebrew suicide, Jewish suicide. You would never, it was, you knew that God gave life and God took it away, so you would never take away life yourself, but you would pray to God, you would expose yourself to the elements. Elijah does this towards the end of his life. Here's Jonah's doing here. He's literally asking God to kill him. He's saying, take my life away from me. I don't want to be here anymore. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? I think, I think this is a relational question from God. I think he's just trying to get to the root of, of Jonah's heart. And it's not because he doesn't get his heart, right? But our God's a relational God. So he asks these questions, right? In the Garden of, in the garden of Eden, God comes down and he cries out to Adam and Eve, where are you? You think God didn't know where they were? No, he's asking a relational question. He wants to get to the heart of the issue. So he says, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what happened to the city. But the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give him shade. That was nice. To ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God sent a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered up and died. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching heat. <laughs> God provides a plant. God provides a worm. God provides scorching heat. To blaze, uh, to bla no, not to blaze. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Yeah, we've heard that before. Okay, so, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry now about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. Okay, here we go. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. So he goes, okay, so the plant is destroyed, and you're all up in arms. Oh, Lord, you destroyed the plant. He's like, but you, didn't, you don't love the plant. You didn't build the plant. You didn't grow the plant. You didn't plant the plant. It just came out of nowhere, and you took it for granted. Yeah, this is awesome. And God goes, I knit the Ninevites together in their womb. I know them. I love them. I wanted them to relent. I wanted them to repent. And if they would have perished, I would have been angry about that. You're getting angry because you take for granted things that don't even belong to you, and then you lament that they're taken away from you. I love and built these people, and you won't even go and talk to them because you don't want them to be saved. God's just saying, your heart and my heart are not in alignment. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't even tell their right hand from their left hand and also many animals? <laughs> That's the end of the book, okay? You guys have just read a book of the Bible. Congratulations. And it's one of the weirder books of the Bible, right? It's kind of a strange story, but it doesn't resolve. It's not like an American resolve of a movie, right? The protagonist at the end doesn't come and go, I finally get it. There isn't like an 80s montage where all of a sudden Jonah goes, I have a heart for the people, you know? Like the Miracle on Ice, they don't get better. The Mighty Ducks don't all of a sudden. I don't know why it's all my movies right now are hockey movies. The Big Green or uh, the Sandlot. Like there's, <coughs> we don't really see this, this change of Jonah's heart. And, and I think we, 
if you read the scriptures, what you're going to find is scripture is just full of a whole bunch of losers and one winner. And that's the reason the Bible exists. It's not for you to, it's not for us to go, let's do a story about Jonah and how we can be like Jonah. It's look how screwed up Jonah is. We need Jesus. <laughs> where's, where's deep voice David? Where'd he go? Uh, <laughs> don't talk. I don't want to rattle the church, but <laughs> you're named after David, right? He's a good man. He was an adulterous murderer and it's your name. Okay? Your parents were like, they were flipping through Samuel, and they went, oh, this guy murdered his best friend, and then he slept with his best friend's wife, and then they got pregnant, and then he failed to stop his son from raping his daughter. Your name should be David. Do you want to know why? But it doesn't matter what your name, if you have a biblical name or just a name in general, there is no justification, unless your name's Joshua, which is the American way of saying Jesus, like... Yeah, yeah, yay, yeah. Yeshua, that's where we get the name Joshua. That's Jesus' name. But everyone else's name, like if your name's Peter, what? Is, why would you kid? Who's named Peter, right? Like, because everyone in Scripture is a total screw-up. That's why the Scripture's so beautiful. Because every page screams out for the need for salvation. David is known as a man after God's own heart because he repented and God forgave him. Not because he himself was great. He was a train wreck. If David, who wrote the Psalms, showed up and, and, and applied to be the worship leader at your church, he would be disqualified. Your church wouldn't have, but we, his songs are our Bible because we have a God of great forgiveness. And the story just kind of ends abruptly in the middle of it. And it, it forces us to cry out for, man, Jonah still needs help. Absolutely. And, and, a, and hundreds of years later, Jesus will come. And he will be born of a virgin. He will suffer under Pontius Pilate. He'll be crucified, buried, and then the third day he'll raise again from the dead. Why? Because Jonah still needs saving. This is who our God is. Let me give you three things to walk away with. If you want this thing to stick. And these are, this is not something I came up with. These are biblical concepts. And, and the great thing is, again, I get to see into the future. I get to see the 18 to 25-year-olds who have now walked away from church, and I get to commune with them and ask them questions. And I'm just going to give you the three most popular reasons that they walk away and what you can do about that. Okay? Number one, the first thing that you need to do is what I call burning the ships. Okay? The Bible calls this repentance. And I think when we hear the word repentance, or we think about asking God for forgiveness, we think it's as simple as us saying, shoot, God, I really didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. But true repentance comes from the word meaning to turn around and go the other direction. You see, when, when, when we talk about repenting, we mean when you go home, there are certain situations that Satan has a foothold on you so strongly. Do you know what I'm talking about? For some of you guys, it's like you go over to your girlfriend's house at night when her parents aren't home and you start watching a movie and everything always goes a direction that you didn't mean for it to go. And then as soon as her parents are out of town again, guess where you go? You go back to her house at night when her parents are out of town and you watch a movie and then you put on a second movie. And you, you understand what I'm saying? Repentance isn't to keep doing that and go, no, I did it again. Sally, what do you do next week? Sally, I don't know. How, okay, what's, a, what's a younger person's name? Rachel, I don't know. Whatever. Hi, Rach. Um, <clears throat> Rachel, you, you know, like, hey, that's not what it means. True repentance, 
True repentance, biblical repentance, the kind of repentance that actually makes a difference is a kind of repentance that says, my heart grieves that I have grieved the Almighty, and I will put something between me and my sin so that I don't do that again. It actually requires a change of behavior, a change of attitude first, brought on by a change of the heart from the Holy Spirit, which then, which, which then creates a change of behavior in us. So don't, I don't want you to just think about the sin that you keep going back to back at home and go, God, I'm really sorry this time. <coughs> I want you to think about that sin and then think about if I said you can have a billion dollars if you never go back and commit that sin again, you better believe that you would go through great lengths to make sure you might not even be in the same room with the same people that you used to be in the same room with. You know what Jesus talks about sin in the New Testament? It says sin unchecked, gives way, it's like a snare, and it leads to death, eternal death. So you know what Jesus, Jesus literally in the New Testament, he says, it's, it's net positive. If your hand causes you to, causes you to sin to do what? <laughs> Cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin to do what? Why? Because here's what Jesus says. He goes, because if you walk into heaven like this, but you still walk into heaven, that's great news. Because God's going to give you a glorified body. Okay? And then you're like, everything's, everything's back. But to have all your faculties intact and to never offend anyone and to keep all of your friends group that were leading you into sin, which eventually led you away from Jesus, with all of your hands and all of your feet and all of your customs and all of your traditions, but you to walk into the gates of hell, it's like, who cares? Burning the ships, in, in 1519, a man, a man named Hernan Cortez led a group of conquistadors to the Yucatan Peninsula to go and steal their gold supplies. When he got there, the men were outnumbered 10 to 1. Some think 15 to 1. They're outnumbered 15 to 1, so Hernan Cortez gets up in front of his men. He's like, men, tomorrow we attack, or however they talk. Okay? Mine's getting Italian. Tomorrow we attack. <laughs> they weren't Italian, but I don't know how to do a Spanish accent, so <coughs> I'll just do Jamaican from here on out. I don't even know how to do that. British, okay. Uh, southern. I can do Southern. I was born in the South. Okay. Uh, y'all, tomorrow, we got like, there's like gold in them there hills. So like, we're going to, y'all take, take a nap, and then tomorrow morning, we're going to get up. We're going to go punch all of them in the face. And the people were like, uh, Hernan, we're like out now, we're 15 to 1. And so they were like, we're going to load up the ships. We're going to go home. It's going to be fantastic. And then Hernan goes, <coughs> that sounds good. Y'all go to sleep. Y'all rest here. We'll get, we'll get it bright and early. We're going to go back home. Everyone goes to sleep. Hernan Cortez sets fire to all the boats. This is a true story. The, peep, the men wake up in the morning. They're like, someone smells bacon. I think smell bacon. Someone's cooking something. And they turn around, and Hernan Cortez has like a big old stogie. He's like, morning, gentlemen. And they're like, bro, where are our boats? He's like, I burned them. But I know where there are more, more boats. On the other side of the army that we need to kill, they got boats over there. Let's go get them. And his army, knowing that the only way to get back home was to go through something they didn't want to go through, burned the ship so that they couldn't return to what was safe, what was comfortable. For us, what is sinful, what takes us back away from Jesus. He burned the ships. So you got one option. It's to move forward. For some of you, it means a relationship that has to end. For some of you, it means that friendships that you have to be really cautious and careful of or to set boundaries up in. For some of you, it means that you know you can't continue to participate in your sport team or your club team while still walking on this road. And, and, and I don't know why or what it is. And it's not because of them. It's because of you. It's because our hearts are prone to wander. And you know, if you know your heart well enough and you go, I can't be around that and stay away from it, then you know what you need to do. 
<coughs> great decision requires great incision sometimes. Some of you, you can't have a phone in your room by yourself because you know that pornography has, has had its grip on you so strongly that it's pulled you away. You can't, you can't worship when you go to church. It's, it, you find reasons to stay away because you're embarrassed and you're ashamed because Satan has whispered into your ear that you are gross and you're disgusting and you're no better than your sin. And you, but you know, if you have an unchecked system of online pornography in your pocket at your beck and call, you're not going to avoid it. It's like an addiction. Would you ever take any of your friends seriously if they had a heroin addiction and they walked around with heroin in their pocket saying they wanted to quit? I wouldn't take anyone seriously who did said that. If, 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 I, if my mom lost custody of me as a kid and she said, I can get you back as long as I stay sober for the next six months and she had heroin in her pocket, I would simply say, you do not love me enough to incise the things you must incise to achieve the things you want to achieve. You just don't. When you go to rehab, does anyone give an alcoholic and rehab alcohol just in case they are tempted to do so? No. The first thing you do is you take all of it away so that the brain can reset itself to what is good and what is noble and what is right through the reading of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you do. You get rid of it. Judiciously walk through that with your pastors, with your counselors. Open up to them. How do, how do we get rid of this? I don't want to do this anymore. And, and they might have options. For me, when I was in high school with pornography, I had to move my computer into the living room. That's what I did. I did. I did walk home and tell my dad, hey, here's what I struggle with. He moved my computer in the living room. So he's like, you can look at pornography in the middle of the living room with all the family around, right? It's like, I don't think I'll be doing that, right? But for you, it might be different. I'm just challenging you. If you want to be counted among those, Jesus makes it clear. The Old Testament makes it clear all over the place. Repent, turn away. Secondly is this. Pursue God with your mind. Seat his truth in your heart. Pursue the truth of God with your mind. Read, study, understand, ask questions. Then once you understand it, then seat it in your heart as truth. Do not pursue with your heart. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can tame it? Jeremiah 17 verse 9. Scripture talks again and again about the study of God's word, the pursuit of God's knowledge. John 17, to know God and to be counted among him, this is what it means. The Bereans are complimented time and time again for hearing what Paul said and then going back and seeing and studying it for themselves. Paul talks about, or Peter talks about the New Testament, always be prepared to give an answer for anyone who asks what the reason is for the hope that lies within you. Our faith is not a non-thinking faith. Our faith is a thinking faith. And once we think and understand, then we see it in our heart and it becomes who we are. Know God. If you simply rest on your feelings towards God, your feelings towards God will go like this. When Paige died, my feelings towards God were right here, but my knowledge of God was still right here. I would simultaneously in the same day go, God, I, I do not get you. I hate that you've used this in my life. I hate that I'm going to be, this is going to be part of my story. How could you love me? How do you want me to sing of your gentleness and your goodness at a time like this? But Lord, I know who you are. I know that you are good. I know that you are faithful above all things. I know that this wasn't part of the original plan. And I know that you, Revelation 4, are going to make all things new. What I knew and what I felt can exist in the same body, but what I know trumps what I feel. Number three, lastly, take divorce off the table with your local church. This might be the most powerful thing that you can do. We love to talk about our churches as families. But churches alone 
would be the only kind of family where you get in a fight with someone or someone shares something that you shared in group and then you give it a six-month sentence where you don't go back to church for six months. What kind of a family is that? It doesn't make any sense. And for a lot of us, we put this pressure on our youth pastors and our youth leaders to come up with something new every week. And we walk in, and we, we walk in like consumers at the Olive Garden, right? We walk in, and we're like, huh, it's a little balmy in here, don't you think, Pastor Tim? And we become critics of it. In your heart, I don't want you to raise your hand, but in, in your heart, I want you to start thinking, ask yourself this question, am I a critic of my own youth group? Am I a critic of the man or woman who's been called to lead spiritually the group at my church? Have I become critical of them? Has my heart become cynical towards them? Have I become a consumer? Never once in scripture, not one time, is the church ever set up as a place that is supposed to entertain or please a Christian follower of Jesus. A church is a place where we learn to become servants. It's a place where we learn more about who God is, supplementary to our own personal devotional. If you go to your church, you're like, I didn't learn anything new about God this week. Well, then you had six other days, 167 other hours of the week to study God's word, and you chose not to. You may not implicate your pastor that you're not growing spiritually. You're an adult. Y'all can read? Read the Bible. It's not your pastor's job. The, youth, the, the job of youth pastor, youth leader, and small group leader was a necessity after the fathers in our world stopped taking discipleship seriously in their own homes. Then the job of a youth pastor was created about 100 years ago. Before that, there was no such thing as a youth pastor. And friend, let me ask you another question. If all of a sudden the church went underground and you didn't have a youth pastor in your home, who would you blame your lack of spiritual growth on then? And for thousands of years when the church didn't have youth pastors, no one's mom could walk in and go, Tim said he's not learning anything in group. Friend, this is a brand new and it is a terribly destructive attitude to have. When you walk in and you go, we better play Oceans tonight or I'm out. No, I came in and no one even gave me a pamphlet tonight. Then get off your butt, Sandra, and hand out pamphlets. <laughs> it's not, it's not, let's, shh, don't clap for me. It's not, it is not your youth pastor's job to entertain you. It is your youth pastor's job in modern day church to simply oversee the doctrinal safety of an environment so that you, the church, can bring others to know Jesus. It's not the power of their Instagram following or that they do really great posts or that they throw really great parties. It is your responsibility, student. It is your responsibility. It is not theirs. You are the church. They are not the church. They are involved in the church. But we way too often, almost like baby birds, ah, feed me, feed me, right? And your youth pastor is like going crazy because he's like trying to chew up all this food and spit into all the baby birds' mouths. We're like, feed me. I didn't like that flavor. Eat it yourself. Eat it yourself. You go. Pursue God's word. Bring others into community. When you get to heaven, you will not be able to go, well, Pastor Tim didn't teach me that. It's not his responsibility. Friend, take divorce off the table with your local church. Come in and go, hey, Pastor, I want you to know, you have the freedom. You can get on stage, forget everything that you're going to say. You can get on stage and the drama can go wrong. And the movie that you made and whatever it is, we can get on the bus to Hume Lake and it can break down. And I want to tell you one thing. I'm with you, friend. Because eternity is long, hell is hot, and a lot of people don't know Jesus. 
So I'm with you, and let's go wreck the world for God's kingdom, rob hell, and populate heaven. I'm on your team. What do you want me to do tonight? How can I help you in this mission that we've been given that all might know Jesus? Now you found the heart of a servant. And if you don't, you will jump from church to church to church to youth group to youth group to youth group until you've decided something in your mind. There is no church good enough for you. Duh, we're full of broken, messed up people. That's like stop going to the gym because there's fat people there. I know that gym. Mm-mm. People are trying to get healthy in that gym. I want one where everyone's yoked, even though I'm not. I just want to be around yoked, perfect people. Good luck finding a church, man. And good luck trying to capture the heart of God, which is for the lost, when you think that church exists to serve and to make you feel great all the time. I'm not telling you that to hurt your feelings. I'm telling you that because if you don't change your attitude towards it, you will not stay in the church. And I want you to, because I want you to know Jesus. And I want to spend forever and eternity. We're never, ever going to be in the same room together again, all of us together. There's no way. Not the same group of people ever until we meet again in heaven. And I want as many of you there as possible. And these are three things that can help shore up the schemes of Satan so that you can walk with him forever. Burn the ships. No overfeel. Take divorce off the table with your local church. I love you guys a lot. Let's finish in prayer. Jesus, would you come and incise the things that need incision? Would you encourage us where we need encouragement? Would you dictate new things to us where that needs to be? Would you give us passion for your word where it lacks? Would you give us the commitment to remain in our churches even if we have a bad week or we have a hard situation or if someone wrongs us, God, and someone's going to wrong us. Someone's, someone is going to gossip about us in our youth group and someone is going to say the wrong thing when they try to help us and someone is going to forget to invite us to something and someone else is going to purposely not invite us to something but lord all great growth happens when we take divorce off the table that's what happens in marriages that's what happens in parenting that's what happens in life would you give us that same heart of yours to say i'm going to be part of this movement your plan to save the world was your local church and the power of the testimony and the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be servants of you and not consumers. In your name we pray, amen.